Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So how has your Thanksgiving weekend gone so far? Huh? Mine was pretty crazy. By the way, start off awesome uh, here on Wednesday night, Thanksgiving praise service, candlelight testimony, part of that. How many of you here were here for that? Yeah, a bunch of you. And it was a great night, wasn't it? And then, uh, of course, Thanksgiving came, and, and I'm running around. I have, to, I have to get the football field ready in my backyard. Okay, so I did that. We played football game, and nobody got injured this year. That's a good thing. Uh, and my team did win. I don't know if it had anything to do with it because I was on it or not, but we did win. Uh, then there were 24 of us in the house for the dinner time. And of those, 11 are children six years and under. And uh, so it gets pretty, pretty chaotic, a lot of, you know, but it's fun. It's awesome. Uh, and then uh, uh, I, like a normal person, went to bed that night and stayed in bed all night and got up at a regular time in the morning. There were certain other uh, individuals in my house, all of the female gender, who decided to get up in the middle of the night and go shopping. How many of you did something like that? Look at this, there's a bunch of you, okay. How many of you actually ventured out on Black Friday? Okay. So that kind of thing went on, right? And so then yesterday, we have some guests that are staying with us. They were part of those number of people there. And we went to Boston, took them to Boston yesterday in the rain, you know, and walked around Boston and it finally stopped raining. It got cold. We had a really good time. Got back last night and then my daughter Jessica, who's the one who just had the new baby, uh, last night about 8 o'clock, she, all of a sudden she felt like she was having another baby because she had a kidney stone. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was all, oh, let me tell you. Uh, and she went to the hospital last night, and eventually, eventually we got it back home, and seems to be level now. Uh, but anyway, life gets exciting, doesn't it? Uh, but, but it's good. And today I want to talk to you about something that really can uh, be in a great encouragement to us and help to us as we live our Christian lives. Uh, Christianity is different. The, oh, hi, Jess. I'm talking about you. I didn't see you were here. Okay, I'm going to take this moment. Can you stand up with our, our youngest grandchild here? Here he is, Cameron. And he was born a week ago yesterday, right? Yeah, so awesome. Um, so Christianity is different than other religions of the world uh, in lots of ways. I mean, you can watch the news and figure out Christianity is different than a lot of other religions. Uh, thinking biblical Christianity, Christianity that's based on what God says in his word. And, and probably the most important way that Christianity is different, it has to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? The resurrection of Christ. That's what makes us unique. Uh, you know, Muhammad has not risen from the dead. Buddha has not risen from the dead. Uh, whoever these guys are that would have been the head of the Hindu religion, they haven't risen from the They don't. But Jesus predicated everything he did on that. He said, I am going to die and I'm going to rise. And if I don't, 
then don't believe me, okay? But here's, here's my evidence to you. And certainly, historically, we can go back and, and, and provide very solid evidence that he did indeed rise from the dead, just as he said, okay? So that makes a huge difference. Now, there's another truth, though, that uh, separates Christianity, and it's, 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 it's related to his resurrection, and that's it. Jesus is still alive, okay? He is still alive today. He's alive in heaven and uh, doing whatever he does in heaven for us. Um, but there's another truth. Because he's alive, that can be a great encouragement to us and also a real challenge to us and a reminder to us about how we live our lives as Christians. So let's look at a passage of Scripture up here. John chapter 14. Should be up there, I think, isn't it? You guys got that? John chapter 14. Jesus is getting prepared to, to leave his disciples behind, and he starts talking to them about it. And he says this. Well, he did say something there. <laughs> he said this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And by the way, he's really talking about himself as equal to God, because he is equal to God. He was God's son. And it continues. Let's go on. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So he said he, after he died and rose, he was going to go to heaven and then prepare a place for us to come and be with him. And then he continues and he says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive to you, you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus died, rose again, went to heaven, and he's coming back. He's coming back for us. That's what he just said, didn't he? So he told his disciples, look, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and, and I, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to receive you to myself so you can be with me where I am. Now, uh, you may have heard of the, the terminology, the second coming of Christ. Uh, how many of you say, yeah, I've heard of that, the second coming of Christ. Okay, most of you. All right. But I want you to understand something. What Jesus is talking about here is not the second coming of Christ. So what do you mean? Well, the second coming is different, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But at the second coming of Christ, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back to the earth. He's coming back to the earth as a conquering king, and he's coming back to the earth with us, bringing us with him and he's going to set up a literal earthly kingdom. And by the way, things are going to run the way they're supposed to then. You know? Uh, and, and so uh, that is the second coming. His first coming was when he came as a baby at Christmas, which we're getting ready to celebrate. That was his first coming to earth. And his second coming will be when he comes back to the earth again. But Jesus here, he's not talking about that. He's talking to his followers, to his people, those who have received Christ as Savior. Whoops, can we put that back up there? That last verse, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. He's going to, to come, not to the earth and set up his kingdom. He's going to come and take us away to be with him. Okay? That's different than the second coming. So, so let's look at another passage of Scripture. Paul wrote about this and described this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, for this, and by the way, he was talking to people who had loved ones who died, and they didn't know what was going on because it was very early in the history of Christianity. It's what's going to happen to them? They've died, and, and when Jesus returns, they're going to miss out. 
So he said, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Let's continue. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so Jesus is coming, but he doesn't come all the way there. He comes down at the same time, draws us up to himself, and we meet him. And we are with him and with all those who know him who've gone before us. Okay, great family reunion. Huge. But you see, Jesus is coming, as we saw in John, to receive us to himself. Now, in a theology, we call this the rapture. And by the way, this word rapture, if you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe in this, the rapture, they're going to tell you, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, that's sort of true. In other words, as we read our English Bibles, it doesn't anywhere use that word rapture. But let me tell you how this works. The Greek word harpazo means to seize or to snatch away. When it says caught up, okay, we will be caught up to seize or to snatch, uh, snatch away. When the Bible, when that Greek word was translated into Latin, they used the word rapturo, which means to seize or to catch up, to be caught away. And so that's what found its way into our theological terminology, the rapture, okay? So the word rapture is in the Bible, but what it teaches is, okay? All right, and so it says that we will be caught up again to be with him. And so he's going to take us out of the world. All of us who've received Christ as Savior, there's coming a time when, when he will take us out of the world. Now, if we pass away before then, the Lord comes for us personally, then, then that's fine. We're going to rise on this day as well. And we uh, will have a body like Jesus had, a resurrected body, and everything that goes along with this. Now, so there is a distinction between uh, the rapture and Jesus taking his people out of the world and the second coming. Okay? And this is significant. All right? And I wanted to show this to you. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. Now, last week, I asked you if you had your imagination caps on. You remember that? Anybody remember that? Well, today, you need your thinking caps on, all right? This isn't kindergarten, I know, or anything like that, but I just really need you to focus in with me a little bit here. This prophecy, written about um, 550, a little over 500 years before the time of Christ, Okay? And it says this, we're going to be in chapter 9, by the way, that's page, uh, what is it, 10, 1033 in the Bible that's there in the pew? Yeah, it's not pews anymore. Anybody else like me, you get in the habit of saying something and it just comes out? Yeah, all right. Chairs. The Bible that's under the chairs there is page 1033. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to take one of those and follow along with us. So Daniel has been praying. God's people, the, the Jewish people, have been taken into captivity. He is in a place called Babylon, and he's trying to say, God, what are you doing? What, what is the plans for us as your people? This it doesn't seem like it's your plan for us. And so angel comes and gives the answer from the Lord. Verse 24 of chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 24. says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, referring to Jerusalem. Now, 70 weeks. This word weeks means sevens, literally 77s. 
And it's understood in prophecy, when it talks about sevens, it's talking about seven years, a week of years. How many, how many days in a, in a week of days? Seven. How many years in a week of years? Seven. Okay? So he's talking about there are 70 weeks, 70 seven-year periods. Somebody got their math going? How many years is that? 490 years, that's right. So God is here giving a prophecy to Daniel that's going to cover 490 years. So let's follow along. He says, this is going to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Talking about the coming Messiah. Verse 25, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So let's, let's work our way through that here. So he says, between, uh, there's a, a decree that's going to be given. And by the way, this decree was given in history. It was a decree that said the Jewish people could go back and begin rebuilding Jerusalem. Okay? We can nail that down when that was in history. And so he said, from that time till the rebuilding of Jerusalem, there is a, um, what do you say, seven weeks? Let me look at it again. I'm sorry. Yes, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So seven weeks, 49-year period. From the time the, the uh, uh, command goes out that you can go and rebuild Jerusalem, 49 years later, that will have happened. Okay, and then there's another 62 weeks, and I think it's 434 years from there till the Messiah comes. So we add that up, that's a total of 483 years. From the time this decree was given in writing, like I said, we can establish this date in history from that day all the way till the time when Jesus would come and present himself as the Messiah. 483 years. And by the way, we can do the calculations with all the calendars and what we know, and we've discovered that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, presenting himself as the Messiah to the day, 483 years after that command was given. That's an awesome fulfillment of prophecy, isn't it? To the day he comes in. Now, so we are at 483 years, seven years left. Uh, verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, okay, so we have uh, the seven weeks, the 62 weeks, and he says, after this time, Messiah shall be cut off. That means he's going to be put to death, but not for himself. Did Jesus have to die for himself? No, who did he die for? For us, that's right. So the word of God here, you know, 500 plus years saying he's going to die. After this time period has come, he comes into Jerusalem, he is going to then die for us. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Bad stuff is going to happen. So there, when it says, and the people of the prince who is to come. This prince who is to come is the Antichrist. If you've heard of the Antichrist, okay? He is the one at the end of time who is going to stand in opposition to God uh, in our world. But anyway, so the people of the prince, so Gentiles following the Antichrist will come. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed according to this prophecy. The Antichrist wasn't here, but his people were. You see that? It says the people of the prince who is going to come one day. 
those people will destroy Jerusalem. And they did in 70 AD. Now, how many years was the prophecy for? What did it say? How many? 490 years, right? 77s. 490 years. But we have only seen 483. So where are those last seven years? Well, let's look here. Verse 27. Then he, talking about the Antichrist, in the future, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Talking about with the Jewish people. Someplace down here in the future, there's a seven-year period, and the Antichrist is going to sign a covenant or agree to a covenant with the Jewish people to be at peace with them. By the way, could you imagine a ruler coming into our world today who is able to unite Muslims, Hindus, Christians, or those who call themselves Christians? See, that's what the Antichrist will do. And he, he'll do this. He will be a great man of peace. He will show himself to be a man of peace. And so he will sign this agreement for a week, for that last seven years. Then it says this, but in the middle of the week, in the middle of this seven-year period, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even till the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. In the middle of those seven years, he is going to break that covenant and stand in opposition to the Jewish people. Okay? And this is all the stuff we read about in the book of Revelation. Okay, now... What I want you to see is this. When we look at history, Daniel gives this prophecy 49 years till the, the, from the command to the Jerusalem rebuilt, the next uh, 434 years to the coming of Christ who comes in on Palm Sunday, fulfilling this prophecy to the day. After that, Jesus dies. Jerusalem is destroyed. And Christianity is born. And so what God has done from that day back around, the, you know what, about 30 A.D., he has set aside, temporarily set aside his people, the Jewish people, and working through the church, working through Christians like us in the world, the body of Christ in the world. And so this is commonly called the church age. And for this time, this is what God has been doing. He's been working through the church. Okay, Israel pretty much went out of existence for a long time. They finally came back in 1949, but, but still there's going to come a day. But I want you to see is this. God gave a prophecy of 490 years for the Jewish people, but only 483 of those years have been fulfilled. So there's coming a time in the future when once again God is going to be working with, through the Jewish people and through the Jewish nation. Well, do you know what has to happen for that to occur? Just like he temporarily set aside the Jewish nation and brought in the church and the church age, guess what happens to us before this occurs? Before he comes back and finishes up those seven years with the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, he comes back and takes us out of the world. You see that? You understand what we're talking about here? All right. And so this is what's called the rapture. We have to be gone for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Because he's, he's going to, once again, the Jewish nation will be the focus, not the church, as far as how God is working in the world. All right? 
And so we have to be gone. And so that is what we commonly call the rapture. Uh, John talks about this in the book of Revelation. Uh, the church age he talks about. It. And then in chapter 4 he says all of a sudden he heard a voice that sounded like a trumpet. And it said, you know, come up here into heaven. And immediately he said he was in the spirit. And, and he was up there. And he saw the church in heaven. And this is before all this seven years happened. So see, we are gone. We will not be here during that time. Does this mean that you and I will never suffer for being Christians? Doesn't mean that at all. Things could get really bad for us before it comes. So we're not saying we won't suffer any tribulation, but it won't be that. Because God is going, Jesus is going to come back and take us out of the world to be with him. Turn to Acts chapter 1, page 1252. And just let me say this, that not, there, there are other Christians who, who are genuinely saved, who love God, who do not see that that way, okay? Uh, I don't really understand how they can't see it that way, based on what the Bible says, but they don't. And so we love them, and that's between them and God, okay? But here's what I believe, what I've told you is what I believe the Bible says, okay? All right, Acts chapter 1. Starting in verse number four, Jesus has already died. He's risen and he's been appearing to his followers and he's preparing to leave them here. In verse number four, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, they were really asking, you know, about something that was going to be the second coming. Because at the second coming is when he's going to restore Israel. And by the way, I didn't, I didn't uh, lay that out for you. Let me go back here. Let me go back, all right? 49 years, 434 years, the end of 483 years total, Jesus dies, rises, and then leaves the earth, okay? Church age. It's going to come the rapture when he takes us out of the world to be with him. Seven years of great tribulation, the Antichrist, and all that the book of Revelation talks about. At the end of that seven years, we find at the end of Revelation chapter 19, Jesus returns to earth. He returns as a conquering king and uh, with us at his side, and he sets up this kingdom. So this is what they're asking about. Are you going to set up the kingdom now? No, there are other things that have to happen first. So verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, so he's told them, go back to Jerusalem. You wait. The Holy Spirit's coming. And, and I have a mission for you. I want you to take the gospel to the entire world. All right, verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. So obviously he's not setting up the kingdom now, is he? He just left. Okay. And while they looked steadfastly up toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, 
who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back to receive his people to himself, not all the way to the earth, coming back to receive us, and then at some point he's coming back to the earth to set up his kingdom. But what I want you to see is this. Here's the impression. These, these two, uh, as it says, men are angels in white apparel. They're angels and they're standing there, and I, I get it, right? Can't you get it? Here they're talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden he starts going up. You ever watch, when you know, a kid, you let a balloon go? And you watch, and you watch, and watch, and it gets tinier, and tinier, and tinier, and tinier, right? And you keep looking, and when you finally can't see it, you still look for a little while. Well, this is what they're doing with Jesus. He's, what's happening, right? And then the angel says, why are you standing looking up in heaven? He's coming back. And here's, here's what I, I get the idea is. Why are you standing around when Jesus is giving you something to do? Go, go, go do it. Get about what God has given you to do. And so the fact that Jesus coming back is linked up with go do what you're supposed to do. Because he's coming back. All right. So what does that mean for you and I then? Jesus is coming back, and, and what are we supposed to be doing? And, and there's a lot of things we're supposed to be doing, obviously. Everything that he's told us in his word. But what I want to do is focus in on just a few things related to his coming. Okay? So turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. That's page 1400 in the Bible there in the chairs. Way toward the back of your Bible. 1 John Chapter 2. And verse number 28. It says, And now, little children. So John here is writing to God's people, to people who have received Christ as Savior. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, let's jump to verse 2. Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus appears for us, when he is revealed to us, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Just as he is pure. So go back to verse 28. He says here that what he wants us to have is this. When we consider the Lord's return and, and think about it. That we, when he does return that we would not be ashamed. But we would be confident. Not ashamed but confident. Now here's the idea. As we look at this whole thing, he says, we're going to become like the Jesus. And in the meantime, verse 3, we are to become more and more like him. Uh, anybody know what's the nice theological word for becoming more and more like Jesus? Sanctification. Okay, that's the word. It means becoming more and more like him. And it says here that when we are confidently looking forward to the Lord's return, it motivates us to become more like him. The same, by the way, that, we do three things around here. We... we uh, Surrender to the Lord. We grow to be like the Lord. We tell others about the Lord. This is referring to that middle one. We grow to be like the Lord. 
And the idea is that knowing that he is coming back should motivate us to work on growing to be like the Lord. Motivate us to become more like Jesus. And when we are living that way, we are confident about his return. Okay, we're confident. He's coming. This is cool. This is awesome. Ah, but if we are not, what if we aren't taking it seriously? What if we're just bumping along through life doing whatever we feel like doing? He says, when Christ returns, we will feel ashamed. Wow, because I tell you what, you think when all of a sudden you hear the trumpet and out of here you go and then you're, there's Jesus and you're in heaven, you know, with all, you think it'll be very real? Wow, this was really real and I didn't take it seriously. I feel ashamed. You see, that's what he's talking about here. And so we want to take this seriously, our walk with the Lord and growing to be like him. Take it very seriously so that we will not be ashamed, but confident at his appearing. Turn to Titus chapter 2. It's page 1370. Titus chapter 2. And verse number 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this is where the title of the sermon came from, The Blessed Hope. And the idea is that this ought to be something that motivates us. And here's the deal. He says, because the Lord is coming... We really ought to think about we should make sure that we live lives that are uh, denying, saying no to ungodliness, saying no to worldly lust. Instead, living soberly, taking things very seriously, living righteously, doing what's right and living godly, becoming more like him in this present age. And then verse 13 again, looking for. And I think the idea of looking for is looking forward to. Are you looking forward to the Lord's return? Well, here's the deal. If you are living the way it says in verse number 12, you'll be looking forward to it. But if you are not living the way you ought to be living, you will be hesitant about his return. Now, I don't know if any of you ever did this, but you you can imagine it with me. Mom and dad have gone away for a few days. You're not sure quite how, how long, but you know for a few days, and they're coming back at some point, and so you decide to throw a huge party all the stuff that goes along with the huge party and the mess and all this kind of stuff and the party's over and all of a sudden you start thinking, mom and dad are coming back. Will you be just full of anticipation that they're coming back? Or will you be hesitant? Oh man, I hope they don't come back today. I still got too much cleanup to do. I got, got things that need to be fixed or changed or whatever. And we become hesitant. But see, that's the way it is in our lives. When we're not living the way God tells us to, we become hesitant about his return. Instead of looking forward to it with great anticipation, we have hesitation about him returning. So we need to let his coming be something that we anticipate, look forward to, not something that we're hesitant about. Now turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's probably just a page or two away. Page 1368.
Paul here writing to Timothy. Paul is sitting in jail. Paul is not coming back from this one. He is going to be put to death. He's pretty much aware that he's going to be put to death. And so he's giving some final instructions to Timothy as well as talking about his own situation. And so he says to Timothy, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. He says, but you, no matter what anybody else does, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. And then he says these words, fulfill your ministry. Do what God has given you to do. No matter what anybody else does, you do what God has given you to do. Okay, and then he continues about himself. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight and here's what I want you to see. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I did what God has given me to do. What has God given you to do in your work? What has God given you to do in your relationships? What has God given you to do with your finances? What has God given you to do in your neighborhood? What has God given you to do as a part of this church? What has God given you to do? Let's continue. He says this, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, what day? And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And the idea is this, if we can love his appearing, our lives would be like this. We, we, we want to uh, look forward to his return so that there will be very few I should haves, I could haves, but mostly I dids. Right? That's what we want. When, when, if we love his appearing and look forward to it, it should change the way we live so that we don't have very many I should haves. I mean, we're going to have some. We aren't perfect, right? And not only I did what I should have, but what could I have done? No, we're, all, we're going to think about that now. What can I do? What could I do? And serve the Lord with it. And so that when he returns, we like Paul, like Timothy, fulfill your ministry. I, I finished my race. I did what God has given me to do. And so I love the idea of him coming. Because I've done what he's given me to do. Didn't do it perfectly, but I did it faithfully. So what would, what's in your life that maybe needs to change? Maybe you need to receive Christ as Savior and you're unsure about that. Use that communication card in the pew to tell us that or talk to us about it. And what if as a church... What if as a church we really began to get a hold of, wait a minute, Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming for us. And at that point, we're going to be done. There's nothing else we can do. Let's live in such a way that we will not be ashamed but confident when he comes. Let's, let's as a church, let's make sure we're living in such a way that, that we don't have any hesitation about him returning. We're ready. We're looking forward with anticipation to his coming. 
And as a church, that we won't have a lot of, wow, we should haves or could haves. But a lot of we dids. We dids. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise of your son's return for us. I pray, Lord, we will look forward to that and let it motivate us to live lives that are the kind of lives you want us to live, the kind of lives that you've called us to live, the kind of lives where we've been faithfully doing those things that you've given us to do. Thank you that you are going to come for us. We look forward to it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.